0: All right, this is Gary Parish again from CBS Sports again. It's now Tuesday, September 1st, and this is the Eye on College Basketball podcast. We haven't recorded one of these in a while because there really hasn't been much to talk about in the world of college basketball, but um, I'm bored. And Sam Pacini just got back from Australia, and so I got him and Matt Norlander to join me uh, this afternoon. And I guess we'll start at Indiana, where uh, a third player has now been dismissed from the program since the end of last season, the latest is is Emmett Holt, the role player at best, who was cited for illegal possession of alcohol a couple of weekends ago. It was the second time um, he had been involved in an alcohol-related arrest in the past 10 months. He's only 19 years old. So now he's gone. And as I wrote, um, he really left Indiana with no choice but to dismiss him because they are battling a, a PR situation here, a larger narrative that uh, suggests players within the program cannot stop, for whatever reason, uh, doing dumb and illegal things. To be clear, it is just basically dumb little college kid things. We're not talking about you know, domestic violence and we're not talking about rape allegations. It's underage drinking and smoking in a dorm room or whatever. So Norlander, I want to start with you by asking... Is Indiana now some off-the-rails program, constantly having to remove players, or could you reasonably argue, hey, we're just talking about weed and vodka here, no sexual assaults, no domestic violence, it's unfortunate, but it's not like they kept a player facing a rape trial on scholarship, we're not talking about Baylor football here, where do you come down on all of this?
1: Well, it's good to talk to you guys, it is interesting, you know, we get through the off-season and we have a major program, it seems Every season in college basketball, you know, one or two of the five or six biggest programs have something major that's happening. With Indiana, yeah, it is not exactly the timing Tom Crean could ever want. He, you know, Tom Crean is always going through something. <laughs> they had they had like a five month period where the program was good, basically from uh, you know Watford hitting the shot and that that brief honeymoon period, and then up until they lost to, Sy- to Syracuse in the tournament. Those were the only real good days for Crean and Indiana. This is relatively minor. I don't think too, too much of it, honestly, but listen, it's a bad look. When the president, Indiana's president, uh, spoke out very forcefully in terms of you know university leadership when it comes to this kind of stuff, you don't often see chancellors or presidents come and speak out about these kind of issues, especially if they're at this sort of level. But it's enough where he's embarrassed by the program and Crean had no choice. I mean Holt did it to himself. It's not a three strike, it's a two strike and you're out kind of situation. Holt is by no means and was by no means a key figure on the roster. But when you're a player that's not of, you know, considerable talent, relatively speaking, you leave the coach no other choice. Crean is in a really delicate spot here. We all know that Indiana should be a tournament team forthcoming, and a lot of that has to do with a five-star player named Thomas Bryant, who was also uh, part of that citation along with Holt. But this is Bryant's first run-in with the police, and let's make no mistake about it, he is a much better player than Holt was. So Bryant only goes through internal discipline for now. But you can't have much more of these. You know, remember last year when – all this stuff kind of bubbled up, and you had Holt hitting Devin Davis, you know, his former teammate. Devin Davis was also been kicked off of Indiana, right. and he hit him with a car. And actually, the police found Devin Davis at fault, even though Holt was driving and both had been drinking alcohol. And Davis suffered uh, head and brain trauma that prevented him from even playing last year. But when a lot of that went down, and we've discussed this on the podcast before— Um, our former colleague Greg Doyle said this should just about be it for Tom Crean. Like he shouldn't be the coach of this program and yada, yada. And I think he's walked some of that back, but it's just something, one thing after another. And, and Crean's already got enough to deal with here that these, these incidents just mount up more and more. And he's already got a significant part of the fan base that's not on his side. And so even if Crean can't control what his players are doing, he kind of addressed this in speaking with the media last week, guys, when he said, I I take responsibility, but he basically, I'm trying to paraphrase what he said, because I watched the video, I watched the press conference. He said something along the lines of, I take responsibility, but I'm not the one choosing those actions that they've done or something like that. So he's putting it on himself as much as he could rationally do, while still kind of throwing it at his players and saying, we haven't had good leadership in a lot of ways within the locker room, which to me is a little bit of a shot, maybe not a shot, but you know, Putting on Yogi and some of the old, some of the older guys in the locker room, where the program itself is not nearly as tight as it should be, given the circumstances surrounding Crean's employment.
0: If the program doesn't have good leaders um, among its upperclassmen, and um, perhaps there's a culture problem there. You know, we always hear about, you know, the the culture of the Patriots locker room or the culture of the San Antonio Spurs. Well, it seems reasonable to suggest. Uh, if only because like Tom Crean suggested it, that the culture around Indiana basketball right now is not good. That's why players keep doing, again, relatively minor things, but consistently relative to other big time programs, dumb and illegal things. If it is a culture problem and if it is a um, upperclassman lacking leadership problem, how much of that Sam falls on Tom Crean? Is he responsible for that?
2: That's a good question. It's a fair question. I I just don't know how much of this I personally put on Crean. I mean, yeah, he's bringing these guys into the program. Uh, He's, you know, he does take responsibility for, you know, bringing kids in that maybe, as you said in your column, uh, that are knuckleheads, so to speak. So, uh, yeah, he deserves uh, a little bit of blame for that, for bringing kids in. But at the same time, this is. None of these situations have been overly awful to me. Out, I mean, Devin Davis getting hit by a car—that was awful, but it wasn't like a wasn't a problem where you look at Tom Crean and go, "Oh man, uh, Tom Crean, this was 100% his doing that one of his players got hit uh, because he was drunk and it was his fault." So I don't. I don't blame Tom Crean a ton for this. I think that he deserves a little bit. But I think that if he wasn't in a situation where he was on the hot seat because of the yes. on-court product, right, right. there wouldn't really be an issue here at all. It
1: just doesn't help a situation whatsoever when you've got a fan base a lot. Not everyone. I feel that Indiana as a whole and its fan base have not turned on Crean. But there is a hearty percentage of fans that certainly have. And basically, no matter what Crean does outside of maybe getting to a Final Four, could he ever turn turn back the hands of time or change their minds. And so when you're in that kind of situation, all of these things become compounded, become even more emphasized. And so it really hurts him more than anyone else in the grand scheme, because if you're, if you haven't, you know, you've got a certain kind of personality that fans aren't embracing on top of the fact that you haven't won as much as they think you should have, then yeah, these little things become bigger things. And ultimately it's cream's big. It's it's, it becomes cream's responsibility becomes it's, it becomes one of his biggest problems.
2: Let's also note that they do have final four potential sure. this year too. They like absolutely roster, do is one of the probably ten most talented in all of college basketball
0: this year, I think. Here's what I would say. A couple of things. One, um, to your point, Norlander, about trying to get the fan base back on board, um, I talk a lot about this because of where I live and in the in the state of the Memphis basketball program and, and, and its fan base and the relationship it currently has with Josh Passner. And, you know, it is very rare throughout modern history of high-major college football or basketball, that when a significant portion of the fan base turns on the coach, that coach can actually flip it back around and keep it flipped around for a significant uh, amount of time. In other words, you can delay the inevitable but once by winning, but once it gets bad, once it gets toxic, once it gets where, as the story goes, people are chanting negative things about you at your son's high school basketball game. Like, I don't know how many examples there are in history where that gets turned around. You can put it off. Like, Rick Barnes put it off for a year at Texas. But then the next disappointing year he had, it was his last year at Texas. And and I think, uh, you know, on some level, perhaps to different degrees, but on some level, Tom uh, Crean at Indiana finds himself in a similar position to uh, that Josh Pastner finds himself in at Memphis. Like, for whatever reason, whether it's fair or not, dumb or brilliant— um, a significant portion of the fan base has, has turned. And I don't know if it's if – it's, I suppose it's possible, but I don't know that it's probable to ever get that flip back around. And my guess is both of those guys, their next bad year will be their last year at that, at that school. In other words, like Tom, Mike, like they go to an Elite Eight this year. Like nothing crazy about that. And he'd be fine, obviously. You don't move coaches after an Elite Eight. But if they came back the next year and missed the tournament, that might really be it. And and same thing for Josh. Like, Josh could go to a Sweet 16 this year for the first time as a head coach. And, he, you know, he'd obviously keep his job if he wanted to keep his job. But if the next year was like missed the, in the you know, uh, NCAA tournament, that would be it, probably. And so it's just, and I don't even mean this uh, specific to these guys, it's not unique to them at all. It's just sort of a, A statement about high major college athletics in general and the social media, talk radio, message board world that we live in. It is very, very difficult to flip fan bases back in your direction after they've turned on you to the degree that some fans have turned on those two guys. Beyond that, I would say this Um, I suppose if you wanted to put it on Crean that if the, you know, cultures um, are created at the top. And if you have poor leadership, that, that, that falls on your shoulders a bit. And if you have poor culture within your program that falls on your shoulders a bit. Like if somebody wanted to like hammer home that point, I can't really um, intelligently argue against it. But I do think we've reached a point where all he can do is talk to the players. And, un- and keep in mind, it's not like he's bringing in known problem guys. You know, like uh, Emmett Holt. Clearly has been a knucklehead since he arrived at Indiana. But it wasn't, I mean, in fairness, I didn't know much about him at Holt before he got to Indiana. Honestly, still don't know much about him other than he likes to underage drink out in public. But, um, it, you know, it, it wasn't like he you know had a juvenile record. Like these aren't, you know, bringing in borderline criminal kids and then going, mm-hmm. uh, oh, I can't believe they got in trouble. Well, you know, they're they just bringing in normal basketball prospects. And for one reason or another, they keep getting into dumb situations. I think we've reached the point where all you can do now is explain to them enough of is enough. And no, if you play at Ole Miss, and I only bring Ole Miss up because they had a star player get a DUI this summer. If you play at Ole Miss and you get caught drinking underage, you probably won't be dismissed from the team. But if you do it here, you're going to be now. Because this is the situation I would say you guys created, but let's just say we all created. We find ourselves in the same spot now. I cannot tolerate any other stupidity nice. because it, mm-hmm. it falls back on me and it reflects poorly on our university and the president's pissed off. Once you make that clear to the players, and I'm told by multiple sources he's made that clear to the players, all you can do when those players then goof up is just dismiss them. And, in fact, you could argue, I think, reasonably that uh, Hunter Masque Perea being dismissed for what he was dismissed for, just like literally just being in a room with weed, like, th- there's no evidence that he was smoking, that it was his. Mm-hmm. I was actually told when he got to his uh, – that he – I was told he he actually did pass a drug test after that at Indiana. I mean, that's what I was told. So there's no evidence. He, it was his weed. There's no evidence it was, he was smoking. He was simply in a room with marijuana. Well, like, okay, well, you're gone. And so is uh, Devin Davis. And now Emmett Holt's gone. You could argue, because I've seen some fans arguing, that this is – the punishment no longer fits the crime, that – Um, that Jesus Christ, you can't be dismissing kids over something this small. But the problem becomes you almost have to at Indiana now because every small thing isn't a small thing anymore. Every small thing is a negative national headline that plays into a larger narrative. And so I find it hard to point a finger at Tom Crean right now because um, he's made it clear to his players what the stakes are. And now consistently, each repeat offender we've had since the end of the season um, has been dismissed from the team. What else is the guy supposed to do? Is that fair, Norlander?
1: That's fair. Let's see, uh, so yes, and now you're hitting on stuff that I was going to hit on for sure. You know, Crean has addressed the team in basically the most emphatic way he possibly could, and so to a certain degree, if anything were to happen again, you can't look at it as anything but you know, the players basically not respecting their sure. coach and not giving a damn. And if that happens, that's also just another negative hit on Crean, even if the player or players were to do something, it'd be an awful look for them. It reflects immediately on Crean. I, w- I will say relative, you know, we're recording this podcast. and We're now less than a week away from college football starting. And I, and sometimes I see what happens in college football. And I read, we've got a really strong stable writers at CBS sports that cover that sport. And I mean, UCLA relevant program, what had like a defensive back, picked up on a robbery charge this week (laughs) yeah he robbed an
2: uber driver (laughs) yeah uh,
1: clemson's kicker is gonna miss time right because he got arrested this offseason like that's random ohio state the consensus number one team in the country i think will not have four players for its most critical game of the season being that it's a road game at virginia tech and that's the one that people think they could lose among all others if they were ever even lose one there are it seems and like seriously,
2: home. there's like that massive Baylor story. Too. Oh yeah. Sure. <laughs> Baylor, Baylor, yeah, kept, Baylor kept there. a guy like, facing a rape like, trial like,
0: on scholarship. How about this? Ole Miss's starting quarterback got arrested, uh, <laughs> earlier this year for threat, for telling a bouncer at a club after like, you know, causing a big scene because he was, you know, in heavily intoxicated, uh, got arrested for telling the bouncer, threatening the bouncer, telling him he was going to go to his car and get his machine gun and come yeah, back in yeah. and shoot the whole place up. So is like Kelly,
1: is that is that Jim Kelly's uh, kid? Jim Kelly's
0: nephew, I believe. Oh, Chad
1: Kelly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So okay. it's like
0: it's like rel- and that's that's the other point I've tried to make consistently with the Indiana stuff. Ain't none of it that big of a deal independent of everything else. This isn't a it's not a coke charge, it's not domestic violence, it's not um rape allegation, right. it's not um it's not, you know, academic fraud misconduct. It's just like, seriously, everything that these Indiana players have done outside of get, you know, when I, when one of them got caught, you know, DWI, who was that? Was that Yogi maybe? Or no, I don't know. what
2: oh, Or man. Honor.
0: It was Honor, right? What? I don't, I, whichever no, one got of,
2: hit with something too.
0: Yeah. Okay. So outside of a DUI and like running over one of my friends with a car, everything else they've done, I've done when I was in college. You know, was I ever in a room with weed? Sure. Was I ever underage drinking, all the time? So, like, I it's hard for me to like take some sort of moral stand against what's been going on there. But what they have to understand, and I think Cody Zeller uh, pointed this out in the same weekend, or perhaps it's just in the first week of school, first two weeks of school, that Thomas Bryant and uh, Emmett Holt were cited for underage drinking. Like another two hundred students. Sure. we're cited absolutely. for underage drinking yes. at Indiana. Mm-hmm. It's not fair, I guess, but like that doesn't even it's Part so beside the, deal, the point. You have to understand you're held to a different standard. So stop doing stupid shit.
1: You, you got to, absolutely. And I I you know, I brought up the college football stuff, not to say college basketball isn't without, you know, it's, you sure. know, from the Oregon stuff. Certainly. You is, mentioned the yeah. academic fraud stuff with UNC. College basketball has had its issues overall, but generally speaking in this off season, Fortunately, the sport has been void of a lot of stuff that, um, comparatively speaking, college football ha- has not been and almost never is. So it is, and you know, it's Indiana, it's Crean. And there's some inflammatory stuff that can just boil up there. But yeah, we we should not basically, if we're talking about this in any sort of regard again on the podcast in the next seven eight months, then it's gonna it's gonna mean some bad stuff for Crean unless. We're talking about an end-of-the-bench guy and Indiana's heading toward a three-seed and stuff like that. And then maybe can manage it a little more because winning is obviously a great deodorant. But not the situation he needed whatsoever, Crean did. It, 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 it. It'll be
0: interesting to see. Like, this will be the big test study. If Thomas Bryant, because the way they can rationalize, and I think fairly, uh, rationalize keeping him and dismissing him at whole is that for Emmett it was a second offense, so to speak. And for, mm-hmm. for Thomas, it was a first. I wonder what would happen if if uh, Thomas Bryant gets caught doing something like really, really dumb, but like really, really minor, like with a fake ID mm. or like, um, you know, with a beer can in his dorm. Like, I wonder if they'd really be willing to pull the trigger on a five star prospect, um, you know, before he plays a game or in the middle of his freshman season for a second minor offense because that's what they did do with with Emmett Holt. They pulled the trigger on a second very minor offense. I w- that'll be the real test. Would sure. they be willing to do that to Thomas Bryant if a second minor thing came along? You know what? I think they probably would.
2: The only the only thing to note with Emmett Holt though is the first offense with Emmett Holt got an awful lot of media scrutiny just because sure. he hit Devin Davis, but like, it wasn't his fault. Oh yeah, no,
0: it wasn't. In fact, like, uh, I think police have said this, but I was also told by people connected to that program. Like that was on Devin Davis. He, he, Devin Davis was Thomas. I mean, uh, Emmett Holt had been drinking, but he didn't even test like above the legal limit. He's just, he was just underage. So it doesn't matter. So, so yes, Emmett Holt had been drinking that night, but he wasn't legally, you know, intoxicated. Had he been 21, he wouldn't have been cited at all. But, like, Devin Davis, again, I'm told, was, like, out of his mind and, mm-hmm. like, just ran in front of the car. Like, there was, like, I could have been driving that car. You could have been driving that car. Emmett Holt could have been driving that car. We were going to hit De- Devin Davis that night. So, yeah. uh, but the problem becomes is that didn't just reflect poorly on Devin or Emmett. It reflected poorly on the entire – because it was such an ugly headline, yeah. you know, uh, Indiana yeah. player runs over other Indiana player. It created this perception with the program and every little thing that's happened since then is tied back to that, that, right. that yeah. thing, that, that thing is what caused all of this to be where it is right now. I think.
2: Yeah, it is. I agree with that.
0: Um, let me ask you this then switching gears, um, uh, cause <laughs> there ain't much other, uh, you know, big news going on in college basketball, but it was a weird story from the weekend. Uh, Seton Hall and Matt Norlander, you wrote about this, had a assistant coach, a guy who is a, um, a considered a, an influential figure in New York, which is why he got hired in the first place for recruiting purposes, um, has resigned because he wants to be a middle school math teacher. Okay. Does that <laughs> does that make any sense? In it, 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 like, it just strikes me as the uh, the you know the perfect example of there's way more to it. Because who is walking away from being a Division One assistant coach to be a middle school math teacher? Like who? Do- like seriously, in the history of basketball, who's no, ever right?
1: Done that? And there's, and that's not to say that being a Division One coach is more fulfilling than being a middle school math teacher because it kind of depends on the person. But generally speaking, the kind of people that get into D One coaching are not the people that would find teaching math at the middle school level <laughs> to be something to be more desirable. It's a really weird story. If it was at a bigger program than Seton Hall, I feel like it would have been a bigger story. But this was one where I was like, I. I feel compelled to aggregate and write off of this because it's so interesting. So Dwayne Morton, here's here's the background on the, on the story, and it is I don't know. I feel like there's just some there's an element here that we don't know. But at one, Dwayne Morton said he was going to leave. Now this is uh, he's a he's a father to a redshirt freshman who didn't play last year, but he coached Isaiah Whitehead and his son yeah. at the high school level. And Isaiah Whitehead is a five-star prospect. He honestly is the most important player Kevin Willard has ever landed uh, since getting to Seton Mm -hmm. Hall. And to a certain degree, Isaiah Whitehead's performance will reflect upon whether Kevin Willard is coaching Seton Hall one year from this very podcast. To be frank and honest with you, it means that much. Whitehead's decision to go to Seton Hall was seen as a package deal, a true package deal, which... You know, a lot of times one player goes to one school, another player goes to another school, they're five star players. That's not a package deal. A package deal means you get me only if you take the lesser player kind of deal. And that's what happened with Whitehead and Morton. Morton also was uh, a prominent figure in Lance Stevenson going to Cincinnati all those years back. So he's not just some Johnny come lately. He's been an influential high school basketball coach in addition to being a middle school math teacher. It is bizarre. I'm glad we've at least brought it up and mentioned on the podcast because I don't think this has ever happened in the history of college (laughs) basketball. And now you have a situation where big picture nationally, it's not a huge deal. Seton Hall's got to find an assistant coach and scramble, whatever. But it's September 1st and you're a Big East program and you don't have a full coaching staff. That's Kind of a mild calamity, especially when you consider the details behind it. I maintain there's got to be something else tied into why he would leave at this, especially at this stage. Why do you decide right now? And is the is the money any any part of being a factor? I can't imagine that it would be when you know you got to be making less. To... There,
0: there can't be a scenario where a middle school math teacher makes more money well, than a big no East way. assistant coach.
1: There, there's there's just no way. So it, it is a little interesting. Now his son is still on the team. Morton's son is on the team, and. Whitehead still part of the program this is a Seton Hall team that last year started out so hot and absolutely caved I don't know if any program cratered the way that the Pirates did last year they can't have a repeat of that so it is interesting for a program and a coach that are certainly coming to a head this season
0: you know so we concluded our candid coaches series I guess it was last week and the last question in it was about uh, what are college basketball's best three jobs? In fact, that's what we asked college coaches um, at all levels. What are college basketball's best three jobs? The answers in order: top three, Kentucky, Duke, and North Carolina. Sam, did you agree with that?
2: Um, yes, I would say. Uh, I definitely would say that North Carolina is the number one for me. Number, that's the because, number that's the number one for me too. And I know yeah. Kentucky
0: fans are go crazy about that. But to me, like North Carolina, nobody's
2: ever failed at North Carolina. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, like even Matt Doherty you, recruited. Like all you got of people the, going,
1: "Oh, Matt Doherty, you want to explain Matt, why Do- that's well, not well, true?" Matt Doherty recruited the
0: team that won the national championship. Yeah, my my point would be, we've we've seen, um, like we've seen coaches totally like.
2: Tubby, Tubby, couldn't, Tubby, couldn't. Tubby couldn't. like look at, at Billy Gillespie.
0: At the end, Tubby couldn't recruit at a high level at Kentucky. Billy Gillespie couldn't recruit at a high level at Kentucky. So the idea that you can't, you, that you just automatically going to get big time players at Kentucky, not true. We, I just gave you two examples from the past, uh, whatever it is, ten years, twelve mm-hmm. years, fourteen years, that for you know that that didn't actually do it. There's never been a guy in modern history who hasn't recruited at a high level at north carolina you can call matt doherty a failure if you want to that's fine i would counter it by telling you matt doherty was signing five-star guys after five-star guys after five-star guys after five-star guys that that ended up winning helping roy williams win a national championship doesn't mean matt could have won it with them but it does mean he got those players on campus and so um when we have you know decade after decade after decade of proof that um that you can remain a a nationally relevant program and almost regardless, basically regardless of the head coach, you can sign five-star guys consistently. Like to me, that's the best program in America.
2: Yeah, no, I agree with that. Uh, As far as Duke being in the top three, I just, I don't know whether or not I buy that just because there there are a lot of things that go into Duke being in the upper echelon of college basketball and most of them are Coach K related. Um, I mean, let's not mistake it. It's still a great job uh, within the grand scheme, but if, if that job opened right now, would you really want to follow coach K?
0: I mean, if they're going to pay me you know? $9 million a year, I would, well, yeah, but,
2: but they're not going to pay you. nine million. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. I mean, that.
0: listen, you don't, I'd say this, it's not the job you turned down, but it might be the job that you wish you would have about three years into it when you realize you're not coach K if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, yeah it's I, just one of those jobs where we you don't know. We're, I don't think we know how good of a job that actually is, because it's inseparable from the Coach K brand.
1: I would agree. So I would not have Duke as a top three job. It's a little bit like It's a little bit. I wouldn't say they're parallel by any means, because Calhoun made UConn and Duke certainly had uh, a reputation before Krzyzewski out there. But whereas Duke might have been considered, you know, top 30 program all time at the time Przewski got there. UConn was absolutely nothing before Calhoun. But it's like, what will we, what will Duke be without K as opposed to, you know, what Calhoun and UConn have been since those two parted ways? I would say Carolina is the best job in the country. I would go Kentucky to, and I would go Kansas three. When you consider the coaching that's that's been done there, um, it's got ties that date back to the inventor of basketball. Right. Okay. So to me, Kansas is a clear three. I would go – probably probably duke four i guess but here's the deal so when we did this poll let me say this th- about kansas this
0: is the crazy okay. thing about kansas i i look, i'd probably have it a top three job i think my top three would be carolina kentucky kansas like may- that would
1: be my order okay yeah
0: um here's what's wild about K- kansas they've literally had nothing but hall of fame coaches since 1983 yes for I more than it. 30 years larry brown followed by roy williams Followed by Bill Self. Larry and Roy are already in the Naismith Hall of Fame. I think everybody assumes Bill Self is going to be in the Naismith Hall of Fame someday. Yeah. Okay, easy. Like, it's a shoe-in. So, like, like, how is that even possible? To have nothing but Naismith Hall of Fame? To, for people who don't understand context, there's only six active coaches in college basketball right now who are in the Naismith Hall of Fame. It's Shashevsky, it's Roy Williams, Larry Brown, Jim Boeheim. Um, Rick Pitino, and John Calipari. That's it. Okay? So there's six. And Kansas has gone more than 30 years without ever having a Naismith Hall of Famer as its coach. That's incredible.
1: It's absolutely nuts. Now, those were the top four, by the way. It's for context, so here were the schools that got multiple votes. Kentucky, Duke, Carolina, Kansas. Then, Well, first of all, it's Kentucky by a mile that was the number one job. Then there was some separation. Then Duke was clearly the second. And then on some separation again, and then Carolina and Kansas were really close. Um, And then you could draw a firm line. And then you got into Texas, UCLA, Arizona, then Indiana. A lot of guys did not say Indiana, which was a little surprising to me. Draw a little bit of a line. And then I had three coaches tell me Stanford was the best job, their number one job in the country, because of the academic. It it was the best blend of location, state, in-state talent. You get the best combination of reliable student athletes and really good basketball players. Listen, I don't agree with it. No, that's the and, dumbest and thing. The three by coaches far. that told me, by the way, are not connected. Like they don't have ties to Stanford. They don't. They're not. They don't run in the same circles. These are three separate coaches. When the first one I got, I was like, "All right, well, here's a random one for Stanford." And then I got two more, um, which surprise, like I wouldn't. I don't think I'd consider Stanford a top three job in the Pac-12. No,
0: it's not. Arizona, UCLA, Oregon, all better.
1: Washington, you could argue, is also better. And... in Seattle. Yeah, no, I think you could. With that span
0: support. Arizona, UCLA, Oregon, Washington. Then... You could argue
2: Utah's better. You... You could. I don't... uh, I I don't know that I would,
0: but, I mean, you you could try it.
2: I I had a couple people tell me Stanford, too, uh, just being out on the West Coast. And another thing that they mentioned is, like, the stability in the uh, athletic department. Like, you can feel reasonably confident you're going to be there for... Yeah, which
1: which means something to coaches for sure. Gonzaga, yeah. Louisville and Florida were the other ones that got votes. But, you know, there are pl- a lot of schools didn't get one vote. UConn didn't get any vote. And this wasn't surprising to me, but for listeners that might be expecting it, you know, Syracuse, Georgetown, UConn didn't get any votes. Who else? It's been Michigan State didn't get any votes. I don't think Michigan got any votes. Um, so there are there are a lot of good programs that aren't, you know, I don't know if Maryland, Maryland got, might have gotten one. Uh, yeah, I think, Mar- Mar- I think Ohio state's better- not on this list. Ohio state. That's the, yeah, actually that's a great point. Yeah. That's a huge yeah. shocker. Ohio state. I did from the guys I pulled, they didn't get one vote as a top three job, which you can, if you really, you could make an easier case to me that Ohio state is a number one overall job than like a Stanford. And yet I didn't have one person tell me Ohio state. Yeah.
0: I couldn't believe Ohio state didn't get any votes like none. It did. Nobody listed at top three with you, me or Sam. Um, yeah. The Stanford thing is just bananas. I'll never understand that.
2: Um, Gonzaga's weird too. I
0: actually don't. I, I, I think, actually I think you can make a I, case Gonzaga.
1: I, well, and I had one. And I had one person almost give me Wichita State for the same reason they gave me Gonzaga. Which you know, it's kind of what Marshall's made it. But Wichita State and like Gonzaga, if you really want to run the league and get a lot of financial support and stability, like you can. But yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I think like Gonzaga is still probably more of a brand at this point than Wichita State is. Yeah, um, but like Mark Few's making millions of dollars. Beautiful on-campus facility. Great fan base. No pressure because y- you're gonna win the league every year almost by default, just because you your school has invested in that program to an extent. You travel first class. Um, you get you're you're able to play in these big uh, neutral side events. I, hmm. I think you can easily and, and you're set up to go to the tournament every year because yes. you're so far and away. I think better. you can
1: make the argument, and I've talked to Gonzaga fans over the years, and I've talked to. Uh, Mark, about this, I think you can make the argument that actually Gonzaga has more pressure nationally from its non-fans to do well in the tournament than it does from its own fans to win a league or or show well in the tournament. They're just kind of, I think that's fair. They're kind of, you know, basket, but open spirit, basketball loving. They enjoy it, but they don't live and die with it. It is truly one of the most uh, comfortable quote big time jobs in the sport.
0: It's it's one it's similar to the way Memphis was in Conference USA. It's changed now because they're in a league with Cincinnati, with Connecticut, with some like-minded basketball programs if that even makes sense. But before when it was just they could outspend everybody, out facility everybody, out travel everybody and they were enough of a national brand because of John Calipari. Like that the difference between Memphis and Gonzaga was that at Gonzaga the fans were a little more laid back and at Memphis there's nothing laid back about anything. But Memphis in Conference USA was a lot like Gonzaga in the West Coast Conference, just far and away better than everybody else because of the resources the school um, you know provided. Um, again, it's different now, but um, I, I actually can make an easy case that Gonzaga is one of the best jobs, and I think Indiana probably uh, should be a little bit higher. Like Indiana's a great job; it, it just is. It, it, you know, it it might not feel that way to Tom Crean right now, um, but it, it, you know that's that to me that's one of the top five to ten jobs in America, easy yeah Gotta be. and i'll say
2: this too more coaches mentioned fan support as a real reason for a program being a top program than i than i expected at least like i thought that there would be like security or money or facilities or uh, you can get big time recruits easier but like a lot of coaches were just straight up like hey like this program has the best fan support like that's why they mentioned for kentucky every time
0: you know why becca i at least i would think is because like most of these guys know how difficult it is to get anybody to care about college basketball. It's just like, you know, you, it is, it is incredibly important at Kentucky, at Kansas, at Duke, at Carolina, at Indiana. It's important at Memphis. Um, It's important at Gonzaga. It's important in Wichita but Syracuse, how
1: many po- are Syracuse. Yukon, like, yeah, mm-hmm. there are certain spots, but yeah, you're on the right track. Yeah. Here.
0: yeah, by and large, like, it's hard to get people to care. Like, you know, it, it, even when you're good, like, uh, I list, Ohio State's good every year. Sam, you yeah. know better than me. How, how, do people really care? I mean, like, care. Like, it affects their mood.
2: Uh, Not really. Right. Not like on the grand scale. Right. That's what I mean. Like, it's hard. I mean, certain people, like, there's a strong, uh, very vocal, Part of the fan base that cares, right? But it's not like a massive thing either, right?
0: Right. Yeah. So I think I think you know, by and large, most coaches it, it matters at Maryland. That's another one. Like I don't want to leave people out, but um, most I would say most coaches of even top sixty programs in America know how difficult it is to get the fans to care. It's probably why it resonates with them that um, it's re- it seems awesome from a distance when when they see a, a fan base like completely emotionally. Invested. Mm-hmm. Last thing I want to touch on before we get out of here um, was another question in our Candid coaches series, and it was one where we asked college coaches if they thought um, a female assistant would be hired into Division One basketball at the next, you know, in the next three years. And I don't think it's a surprise to any of us that most said no. And I actually think some of the reasons are are actually are valid. Um, one, you know, would a woman be effective recruiting? 16 17 year old boys I, I don't know but like I, I I'm willing to acknowledge I don't know the answer to that it could possibly be a hurdle um the other one that I think resonates is um hey you know a lot of coaches said this I don't know who would I even hire you tell me you know like I don't know who women you know uh, uh, coaches are like I I know the I know the candidates that I might look at for men because this is the business I'm in but like you tell me who would I even who would I even hire? And honestly, if somebody asked me that question, I, you know, every once in a while I'll get asked by a coach, hey, who are the best five assistant coaches under 35? If you were hiring somebody, give me some names. And then I'll get this one. Give me the five best minority assistant coaches in the country. If you, ha- if you were going to my- hire a minority, who would it be? And I have answers for all of these things. Like every March, April, I have these conversations with coaches. If they were to ask me right now, hey, if you were going to hire a female, who would you hire? I have no idea. I, so, like, I, I totally get at least that resonated with me. Then we had some answers that um, some of our friends who are women in sports media who cover college basketball found sexist, and and I can understand why. Here is um, one quote quote, I think it's too dangerous. I do not like any disrespectful language at any point, And there are times in basketball that guys can use profanity. It would be even more unacceptable in front of a female. I would be too sensitive about it. You just never know. A guy says something, she can accuse you of sexual harassment. It could put her in an awkward position, End quote. To that, I would say uh, the only reason somebody could, I guess they could falsely accuse you, but the only reason somebody could actually accuse you uh, correctly accuse you of sexual harassment is if you were sexually harassing them. So like, don't, don't be an animal and you'll probably be okay in that regard. And, uh, you know, another coach said, I quote, I would have a hard time being myself daily.
1: The coach that told me that I was shocked by the coach that told me that.
0: Like I'm not shocked. Knowing who that
1: coach is. I'm like, really, man? Like,
0: (laughs) Well, I, I'm not shocked to hear that because I, I, you know, it's a little bit like you hear, "What about a woman in the locker room? What if she'd be staring at her
1: dinglings? You know, I like mean, uh, there so, were coaches that said these things. Oh, I
0: know, but like it is like, what do you mean you can't be yourself? Like, I, you know, I, you know, I, I walk into a radio studio every day where I I don't work directly with, unless you count advertising people. Then I guess I do work directly with women. But like, I don't feel like I can't be myself. I just can't like, you know, be an animal. <laughs> Uh, so, like, I don't think like, it's just a weird thing to hear grown men say, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. This was, I, I proposed this when we were kind of debating on what questions to go with, and I, I felt that we would get interesting responses. And <laughs> the response, there were even a few that I, I frankly, I wasn't comfortable putting in the post, and I'm not even comfortable bringing up on the podcast that were, they were almost like, no, this is, this is beyond off the record. I don't even want this in ink because I'm uncomfortable even, you know, having it out there, but. I was like. First of all, I will say, talked to plenty of coaches that were very open-minded, very forward-thinking, very respectful, and a few of them said, "No, I'm basically ready to do it. I just got to find a candidate," and they were believable in those responses. So, 75% they said they could not see themselves sharing a bench with a female assistant in three years. 25% said yes that they could. But of the 75% who said no, there was certainly a decent majority whose reasons, frankly. Are uh, knuckle dragging. I mean, it's yeah. there's. I under some some of the recruiting thing. I can kind of get, but other other coaches were like, no, man. I I think a female, and some of it is crass, by the way. But some no, especially they're like, if I have a hot female assistant, I think that's <laughs> only going to help me. Like it is, and this is how coaches will think because you know I wrote this post, and as I as I said, when it comes to recruiting, every every possible weird, slimy, random avenue mm-hmm. that you think might a coach might take. Trust me, they've already deliberate, deliberated doing that, if not having done it already in general. Uh, the other aspect of this is I did want to specifically ask coaches if they could do it because I think if we had asked, can you see a female assistant in three years? I think our it would have been flipped. flip. I think 75% would said yes. But when you put the onus on the coaches and have them say no, I'm asking you specifically, can, in, they're not nearly as willing to commit. Um, one question I wanted to post to you guys, I guess I'll go with Sam, is is this this felt like an issue to bring up in light of Becky Hammond. Clearly seems to be on her way to getting an NBA head coaching job. Is She seems to be on the right path there. Nancy Lieberman is now with the Kings. For college basketball, kind of broad here, but is this an important issue? I think it's an intriguing issue. I think the sport could probably be benefited by having women in it. Um, but once we did this, was I don't know how bigger or of important of an issue it was how would you guys quantify that
2: Oh that's a good question um, I would say that to I can see people saying it's important it's not super important to me particularly I understand the reason why you would think it is but I mean uh, yeah I don't know it, it's hard for me to say I I would say it'd be nice to see a woman on a staff I think it would be I think the game would benefit from it. But I don't think that that benefit would be like overly incredible either. Like yeah. I think it would just be like, hey, this is a, this is a great thing that uh, that this woman is on the staff and that uh, I'm sure that she's doing a great job. And it's a barrier-breaking moment. But I don't know that it and would by like the way, revolutionize uh, I, I ne- the game yeah. either.
1: I neglected to put this in the story and I, I knew it, but I just whatever. Patino did do this at Kentucky like two uh, two decades back, so this has happened in the sport before, um, but to my knowledge, not since. So it's it has happened, but since Patino did it with Kentucky again, it hasn't happened again, and that you know that element is a little surprising. The
0: guy who should do it mm-hmm. is John Calipari because um, a he likes to be the first, he likes to be the innovative first yeah. to do all this stuff, and then secondly, he'd be set up to succeed. You know, like like. Sure. Who who couldn't recruit for John Calipari? That's, at that's like
2: with the Spurs too. Like yes, Becky is Set up to
0: succeed. So like if I, I, it would be cool to see John Calipari do it because a, I think it'd, it'd be obviously positive public relations for him, which mm-hmm. he enjoys, and it would work because John could hire anybody. Like I think John could hire me to be his you know third assistant, and and suddenly I'd be one of the hottest assistants in America, I, signing yes, five star recruits
2: sure to this.
1: Yes. Yep.
0: Yeah, so, like, it, sh- like the guy who should do it is John Calipari. I-, I guess I would say this. I would echo a little bit what Sam said. You know, when I start thinking about the biggest issues facing college athletics, like, the lack of women coaching men in basketball doesn't strike me as um, yeah. something that's um, long overdue. It might be overdue, but it doesn't strike me as, like, some great... Um, I, I, injustice, or I, I don't know, it just doesn't strike me as, yeah. as, as anything so, like.
1: The, yeah. The, yeah, the reason I propose is because a lot of people could come right back at us and say, "Hey, listen, women's basketball has so many men coaches, sure. so why can't why can't we have both? You know, have this happening in both aisles here?" And I think there is legitimacy to that kind of response. Plus, sports in general play such an important. Social role with social issues by setting example just by p- pure nature of them being you know public enterprises and businesses so to speak so I think there is something there um, I'm a little surprised we haven't hit this point yet I I do think it's coming you know a lot of staffs not a lot but there are staffs Colorado State has uh, a female uh Dobo director of basketball operations doesn't Kansas have a female strength coach uh, strength coach yeah. so you know they're they're there they're getting close but if I had to predict, I think within five years, well, within five years, I think we will have at least five D one programs. They might not be the biggest ones, but I think I think we will see women on benches. I think we're just it's it's going to hit a point, and then it's going to you know sort of be a tipping point in that kind of regard. I just I, I think to the
2: to the ex- I would yeah. say no to that. By the way, you, you I think, don't no? think there will be five? There I, might I I would say like one, maybe two. Twenty twenty. Okay. Five, I,
1: I think like, I think we. Uh, I think we will. I think I think we'll see a, a flurry of them. That's to, just... to the
0: extent that it is an issue, it, it, I, I think it would only be an issue in a larger sense because we we as a country are slowly but surely getting to a point where all of these barriers are broken down, you know, like yeah. whether it's, um, you know, uh, a, you know, uh, men, women or gay straight, um, you know, it, it, once upon a time you had to, have you know, be a certain way to get married. Now that's
1: you know, and look how fast by the way, if you look stuff, at, if right. you look at the statistics yeah. of where gay marriage was in two thousand and five compared to two thousand and fifteen, mm-hmm. it is a light year jump right light year so i I feel like with each passing year in this country when it comes to these major social issues, progress happens fast and swiftly, so that's why I say yeah
0: that. well like like so, we we might be you know a a year and a half away or a year and a few months we might be close to having a woman president, you know so like um, I, I just think to the extent that this is an issue in college basketball, it, it's, it's an issue because we are, you know, with each year uh, checking boxes that had never been checked before. Like, have we ever had an African-American president? Well, now we have. Have we ever had a, a, a female whatever? OK, well, then we have. I, I just think this sort of falls on a much lower and unimportant scale. Um, this sort of falls in line with that.
2: So here's my thing. The reason that I got most for why women won't be on a bench in the next few years is they just simply don't really have the relationships in the recruiting world. Right. Like, and I can't really think of any women off the top of my head either. And it was the same with coaches that, you know, have those relationships in like the AAU grassroots world and the, uh, you know, even maybe in the high school world, but it's just hard to come up with a legitimate candidate right now. And that's why it's hard for me to say there's going to be five by 2020 or something. Uh, I the hope why, there are, but yeah, I think, I think hard.
1: some of that is a little bit of a cop out because it's not like you need all three of your assistants to be massively crazy. Good recruiters. Usually you have one guy who really, really is kind of, you know, spearheads that along with the coach. and You might have a second, usually you have a guy that's an assistant that straight up just knows the game. And I yep. think if anything, when women are on a staff, yeah, it's going to be because they really understand the game. They know the coach. They're going to know how to work a whiteboard and a, and a chalkboard, so to speak. And then you just you incorporate you them into the recruiting up. world. Like it happened yeah. Like listen, the fact of the matter is, a lot of these assistants that come in are third assistants at low levels. They don't have jack for connections, okay? But they slowly work it, just like anything else. So to me, if there's a really talented 28 year old female assistant coach that knows the game well, why can't you incorporate yeah. her into that? Yeah, so, to me, that's
0: the way could, this ought to go yeah. down. You you get a you get a, somebody who's at a place that's going to – they're going to get players no matter what. You know, John at Kentucky, Bill Self at Kansas, um, even Mike Krzyzewski at Duke, who you know, Roy at Carolina or who happens to, to ever be the head coach at Carolina going forward. I think that guy could get away with simply calling the five best women coaches – in college See, basketball. this is
2: also my question. Where do they come from? Here's do they come do. from you, the women's here, college basketball you side? You call or Gino. do they come from like the AAU kind of world? Yeah.
0: Well, no, here's what I would do. If I if I were trying to be the first guy to do this, I I, I would call the I'd call Gino and honestly, I don't even know. Like whoever the other five best or or, or you know women's basketball coaches in America. And I would say, hmm. tell me the brightest minds. Give me the I want to know the five brightest basketball minds among women that exist in this country give me the names and i would figure out okay and like surely like you know if you asked you know rima and, and five other dudes and or, or or women in in women's college basketball they, they'd have answers for that they like just because men's right. college basketball coaches don't know who the bright women assistants are or i don't know who the white bright women assistants are it doesn't mean that they wouldn't know they would know
2: oh i'm sure they would
0: right so you ask them give me the names and then you just say, "All right, brightest basketball mind for a woman in college basketball." The consensus is this woman. I'm putting her on my staff. That's the way you do it. I I,
2: think,
0: yeah. I agree. I think that's
2: the smartest way to do it. Yeah, Definitely.
0: that's the, that's the way you do it. And uh, you know what? You could even because the salaries are probably um, so drastically different, you could probably go hire one of the top <laughs> women's head coaches in college basketball.
1: You know. Yeah, the women's side, like especially yeah. if you're at especially if you're at a top fifteen program, yeah, like and without question a top five program, yeah. When
0: you're paying three hundred fifty, four hundred, five hundred thousand, like what? Like, Kenny Payne's making like what? Seven hundred, eight hundred, nine hundred thousand dollars a year right now. Yeah. So like, if, if you,
1: yes, yeah.
0: So if you've got that kind of money to throw around, you can go pluck like a lot of people. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, to me, if it does, I don't have any idea when it'll go down. Three years, five years, whatever. But when it goes down, that's the way it should go down. It shouldn't be Georgia State hiring a woman. I mean, I'd be happy if they did, but if you really want to, to make it work and make it, it it should be one of the premier programs in the country coached by one of the premier men in the country who understands that this might not work somewhere else, but it'll work here
2: because everything works here because, you know, I I would be happy for it to happen at Georgia state or at Kennesaw state or wherever. But the moment where I think that we are going to see the breaking point is whenever, like you say it happens at a uh, Kentucky know, and Kansas, as we uh, and to kind of, yeah,
1: close it up the way that San Antonio was the one to do it yeah it was perfect, same thing perfect yep. NBA franchise to do it you'd really want a, a blue blood to have the perfect scenario there right. um all right so we basically have one more month of the doldrums here of off season, right GP uh, and then October comes and that's preseason preview stuff so what are we thinking podcasts going forward give Mm, listeners an idea
0: i don't know we could do like as long as kids keep drinking
1: underage and stuff we'll probably get something done every every we do have an interesting i don't want to spoil it i mean seriously the
2: start of college college kids are just coming back we're gonna get that is that is a huge element by the
1: way you get these kids these 17 18 year olds on campus and they're listen it's a very invigorating time we do have i won't spoil it for the podcast but we do have kind of a cool project mini one week thing coming out in about two weeks. We could also kind of talk about that after it goes live. That might be interesting. And I'm going to Maryland next week. That's right. I also
2: have no idea what that project is. That That's right. You were on right the conference right.
1: call because you were uh, on the other side of the world, which by the yeah. way was random because I'd see you tweet. First of all, you shouldn't have been tweeting period when you're on vacation in Australia. But I was doing good morning. Stuff. It'd be like three three o'clock in the afternoon here or something like that. Yeah. So
2: I was releasing draft stuff the entire time I was gone. Yeah. We so, could we could probably how
0: about this? You know? We'll play it by ear, but I th- I don't see any reason we can't do one a week going forward, right? Yeah. If you
1: want so to, I'm I'm all, I, I won't all, be. Well, keep a in mind we we'll had by ear, though.
0: We'll we had it. nothing, and this is sort of the 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 way these things go. We had nothing really to talk about today, and we're at the 52 minute mark. All
1: right. Yeah. So uh, so Hersh, like you could uh, uh, that's just the nature of who you are though. In general though, I mean, listen, this is what this is what you do. You run a daily radio show in Memphis, okay? And I know. That not every single day can you walk into that studio and have Memphis only kind of talk. So you're able to just kind of fill the spaces overall.
0: It is for better or worse. That is a that is a true thing you've just said. So uh, anyway, let's get out of here. Remember, you can subscribe to the Iowa College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. It's the quickest way to get your hands on the latest edition. Make sure you do that. And uh, either way, we will talk to you again. Let's say next week. Till then, take care.